Hello and welcome to the 20 Minute Hit, the all-talking, no-gawking sports podcast that brings you in-depth and, we think, intelligent sports discussion on the top stories from the last seven days. I'm Ollie Wilson, sports broadcaster and commentator for TalkSport in the Football League. And as usual, we'll be running a streamlined, no-huddle, quick-fire attack today as we spend three minutes and three minutes only on the big five topics from the last week. After those 180 seconds on each topic, we'll be moving on. As always on the show with me is, of course, my esteemed co-host, sports journalist, Mr. Paul McDonald. Hello, mate. How are you doing today? And uh, what, what has had you yelling at your television screen this week? Hi, mate. I'm good. Yeah. Um, Mourinho losing his marbles and Mayweather boring the hell out of everyone in boxing again. That's my main topic. <laughs> we will uh, be diving into both of them, I'm sure, as we go through the show. Uh, and uh, we are joined on the show this week by Goal.com's Manchester United correspondent, renowned football journalist and very good friend of both myself and Paul, Mr Chris Vokes. Chris, pleasure to have you back on the show, mate. Uh, how was last night looking at United and uh, what was more depressing? Sheffield Wednesday's scoreless draw against Bolton or United's performance? performance yesterday um point gain for the wednesday but uh, united will be uh pretty worried with the way that things went particularly because that luke shaw, luke shaw injury yeah we will uh well, we wish luke shaw a speedy recovery from that nasty break and we will start with the champions league as i say manchester united lost last night in eindhoven to psv manchester city losing to juventus not a great way for the english clubs to start in the champions league this week and uh, i'll kick off with you paul is there a reason for English clubs to panic and for us to panic as English football fans about English teams in Europe's top competition? Yeah, I, th I thought the City game was a strange one last night. Um, they missed chances at key moments in the game which could have led to a different outcome. Sterling missed a, a real guilt-edged chance in the first 60 seconds and then Sterling missed another one after, just after Chiellini's OG which would have made it 2-0 and put the game to bed. And Buffon also made another two excellent saves in the match. So while... The, the outcome was perennial city in Europe. I think when you actually watch the match, it was one of those games where it could it could have went either way at any point. Yeah, but City have obviously got some sort of hoodoo around them at the moment the, when they get into European competition. They've struggled every, every single time uh, they have been in the Champions League. I think that might become more of a mental thing for them and it's just something that City need to get over. But are, are we more perhaps troubled? United had the year off last year from European football. I know I am in terms of uh, being an English football fan and wanting to see English teams succeed. Uh, that United can't get past someone like PSV and it seems that while everybody else in Europe is catching up to uh, to the Premier League, the, the other clubs like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich are starting to just move away and separate themselves from our top sides in, in the Premier League, even the ones with hordes of cash to spend on, on supposedly the best in the world. I actually, I actually think there's two different issues here. Uh, City, as Paul referred to, it's almost like every Champions League game is a crisis because they just can't seem to stand up to the occasion for whatever reason. Whereas United, obviously, they have not played in the competition for a year. They're still a side that are feeling their way through, having spent so much money and so much is expected of them. They've not quite hit the ground running, even with the victory over Liverpool. They were very poor for a long time in that game. I think you're looking at two different things here. And, and United just got exposed for a weak underbelly uh, against uh, PSV, I thought. 
What about in the general terms, though, of this uh, of the English clubs in Europe and the mass panic? I mean, you look back at uh, tw- in 2013, 2014, Chelsea were the only team in the semi-finals and uh, in the quarterfinals. It was only Chelsea and Manchester United. We didn't have an English t- side in the quarterfinals in 2014-15 or in 2012-13. Yet you've got teams like Galatasaray are able to poke their nose through. Obviously, Dortmund have been around and been successful in Europe as well. It, it does feel like you know we're worried about the coefficient and perhaps losing a Champions League spot to a different league around the world, particularly after Juventus are doing so well. It does feel like that we're just slipping away from the, the leaders and the elite in Europe at, at the top of the Premier League right now. And I, I, part of that, I think, comes down to the amount of money that's spread across the Premier League in, uh, in our competition. I think there's a lack of identity in the Premier League. If you look at the way that Juventus set up last night at, um, at the Etihad, they played up with a, with a quintessential Italian approach to, to not concede goals and, and ultimately ground, grind out the victory. They have that approach. The Germans have their way of playing and the Spanish have their way of, of ticky-tack of possession football. I don't really think the Premier League or any of the teams in it have a real identity in Europe, but I'm not quite sure at the moment that they are sure how to approach a lot of the matches, and I think that's part of the problem. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Chelsea tonight, and uh, we will move on to Chelsea and talk about Jose Mourinho. Plenty of uh, interesting comments in the build-up to, uh, to tonight's game against Maccabee Tel Aviv in the Champions League, and a lot of them uh, a little bit out there, even for Jose telling uh, reporters to Google the answers to their own questions. Uh, Chris, is, is Jose, the strings are starting to come off, and uh, is he starting to lose it at Chelsea now in this third season? Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It does have the feeling so far of that uh, 2007-08 campaign when he lasted until late September and, and the Champions League season started with Mourinho leaving. Um, I'm not suggesting that he'll be off out the door any, like, anytime soon necessarily, but things really don't have the feel of a typical Mourinho season, which is normally him being able to deflect any criticism that comes his way and then Chelsea or whatever his side is at the time bouncing straight back. Chelsea haven't been bouncing straight back and he's not quite uh, finding the the, uh, the right cohesion on, on the field at the moment. And it's a real concern, I think, for Chelsea fans. Yeah, but we yeah, were... yeah sorry, Oli. I think, yeah, I just think Josie's stick is getting so tired now. Like, he's been around a long time. He's been at the, the, the number one manager that people are interested in speaking about and speaking to for the last decade. And his excuses are just growing really long in the tooth. I... He needs to step up and realise that his teams have deficiencies and rather than try this constant deflection tactic, which he's tried for so many times, and everyone is just so sick of it now. And he's always been... The, the British press have always been accused of giving Josie an easy ride, certainly in comparison to how he was treated at Real Madrid by the Spanish press. And I think there's actually been a, a real uh, sea change in that over the last couple of weeks. I think he, there's journalists going after Josie now and he doesn't like it. He, the reason he came back to to England was to enjoy that kind of simple life and enjoy that kind of love affair with the press and he's not getting it he's getting hammered at the moment and I think it's putting real pressure on him yeah, but he's always got that volatile sort of personality when it comes to the press. I mean, we we in the press seem to love him because he gives us the choice lines more than anything else. I don't think it's always been about the fact he has a great relationship with the English press. And I think it's almost look, like looking back at a past relationship with anybody and kind of looking at it with rose-tinted glasses when he was talking about his great relationship he had with the media. The media love him because he gives them lines, whether it be these baffling, crazy ones about Googling your own answers to uh, to your questions. 
or or whether it be him kind of having a nice sit down jovial discussion over uh, you know an afternoon press conference on a Thursday or a Friday in the build up to an easy Premier League game so I don't think we should be surprised that Jose is coming out with this and that there's suddenly a, a, like a bit of a, a hubbub around him this is what Jose is he's like a crossbreed between I suppose like Paolo Di Canio's instant impact and, and, and wants to have more that kind of Alex Ferguson long term tenure at a club but his attitude doesn't relate into that so it's no surprise to see the wheels falling off because that's generally what happens when he gets to this point when he's with a club anyway like at Madrid and like his first time at Chelsea that's very true Ollie, but if you look at the situation this season with, with this, the scandalous treatment of Eva Caniero earlier in the season I think that the press now are starting to focus more on the deficiencies of Mourinho's team on the pitch than they are all the smoke, the smoke screens that the Mourinho puts up around it this nonsense with the googling the players yesterday will count for nothing if if they don't get a result tonight in, in, in the Champions League. And I think I think there's a real attitude change towards Mourinho and Chelsea at the moment. Paul gets the final say on Jose Mourinho as well. We'll see if the attitude change comes in in the players on the pitch uh, this evening as Chelsea take on Maccabee Tel Aviv. We're going to move away from the football now, though, uh, and on to tennis. We were talking about Serena Williams last week and perhaps being the greatest female tennis player of all time. Novak Djokovic wins the US Open, his 10th Grand Slam beating Roger Federer in four sets, 6-4-5-7-6-4-6-4. Is, gentlemen, Novak Djokovic the greatest men's tennis player of all time? I'll leave it open to one of you to, uh, to kick off with this. I'd, I'd say looking at the way that he's peaking at the moment, he's really um, coming back to that form of a, a couple of years ago where he was just untouchable. Um, there's a good chance that he'll be rivaling Roger's 17 Grand Slams at like, the way he's going. Um, I would say, though, that uh, it could be one of these situations whereby he is he hitting the right time he's come at the end of Federer's career or towards the end of Federer's career if he'd come a three or four years earlier would he have struggled a bit more when Federer was really at his top the same could be said of Federer was was he a few years early um Nadal's kind of um fallen apart because of injuries uh, Murray hasn't quite hit the heights that he was threatening two or three years ago that's not to take anything away from Djokovic I think he's been absolutely excellent it just seems occasionally that um he, he, not that he's getting it easy he's just able to to step up at the right time in, in matches and blow opponents away at oh, it's, times. it's not been easy chris by any stretch of the imagination but I, I do think you make a, a valid point about the fact that nadal is on the wane obviously and federer is a player on the wane at the moment i think the other interesting thing is that you, we've still seen times and occasions this year when roger federer has produced his best and his best from you know five years ago and has been able to beat Djokovic as well and with at the moment seven more grand slams than Djokovic with the fact that Murray hasn't come on the competition I think that Djokovic faces compared to the competition that Federer was facing from Nadal uh, in Nadal's prime I think it just highlights the fact that Roger will probably be perceived as the greatest men's tennis player of all time take into that and the fact that Djokovic hasn't yet won the French Open on clay I think until he does that, he's got to show that he can do it across all courts and win that big Grand Slam at the French Open at Roland Garros. Yeah, that's a good point you make there, Ollie, about the, the Grand Slam. That's the one that he's that's truly evading him at the moment, and I think that's the one he'll be really gunning for next year. But listen, it comes down to personal styles the same way that it does with football. I mean, some people would regard Zidane the greatest player of all time, despite the fact that for long spells of matches and seasons, he might not be that involved in the game, but was incapable of producing moments of extreme beauty and genius. That's the way people feel about Roger Federer, his forehand and his backhand. That's the way they look at those shots. They treat them with that, that same respect as they treated as a Zidane pirouette. 
But sometimes it's a guy just comes along that's so utterly domineering and so utterly brilliant in all aspects of the game. You just have to step back and say, is there, has there anybody who's had such a dominance over every single discipline of a sport like Djokovic has at the moment? And I think you'd be difficult. You'd be hard pushed to find somebody who has. But would you say that Djokovic is dominating right now? Because I still think, as I say, you know, we've seen Murray topple him on occasion and every player is going to lose at some point. But even in uh, in some of the big grand slams that you used to get, and as, as I say, on clay courts, for instance, Djokovic just isn't able to be as dominating, I think, as we've seen Federer be in the past. And so until he can look like that be-all and end-all, then, uh, then I've still got to go with Federer, I'm afraid, and uh, and Djokovic will have to wait. Um, we will uh, move away from the tennis as well. And uh, Paul mentioned it earlier, Floyd Money Mayweather fighting his final competitive fight on the weekend against Andre Berto Mayweather, f- winning against Berto in 12 rounds and, of course, finishing his career undefeated, 49-0. and 0. Floyd Mayweather... Is he the greatest fighter of all time or is he just one of the most boring boxers that we've ever seen in the ring and one of the most annoying people outside of it? And uh, I'm going to start with this one because I've got to I've got to say Mayweather would be able to get away with the fact that perhaps, you know, in his last, uh, I think it's 14 fights, 12 of them have gone the distance and he hasn't been exactly coming out swinging and he he waits and doesn't throw that many punches and is more clinical with his with his hits and is happy to win on points. I think he could get away with that if he wasn't such a flamboyant, extreme, extravagant person outside of the ring. And because you've almost got such a contrasting style in his fight style and his personality, I think it highlights how boring and bland he is in the ring because we see him you know, on Instagram and social media all the time talking about how much he, an extravagant lifestyle that he leads. And I think people will always compare those two things and will say, well, you know, he was great, but he was bland as anything to watch. And I don't think there's a difference between greatness and being entertained but I think in the boxing world that line is getting meshed together uh, and people want entertainment and Mayweather hasn't provided that and so I don't think people will remember him whether he is or not as the greatest fighter of all time to use a football analogy that the the third one or the fourth one of the show um, I, w- I would say that Floyd Mayweather reminds me of the AC Milan team of 89-90 it's the ultimate defensive unit but got the job done um, and 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 in not spectacular fashion, but everyone remembers them as being truly great. They are not the Muhammad Ali Barcelona comparison here. They are not that team. They are not that style of fighter. It just isn't. And really, from an aesthetic point of view, perhaps he isn't great to watch, but records speak for themselves. And yes, granted, Mayweather has fought some, some of the best fighters around at optimum times for his career rather than theirs. But you can only beat what's in front of you. As I've said a few times on the show, you can only uh, dispatch the opposition that's around in your era. And Mayweather has done that flawlessly. But he has a choice of the opposition that he can face. I mean, his final fight, he took Andre Berto. Uh, when, in fact, he could have gone with Khan, he could have gone with Kel Brook, he could have gone with Danny Garcia, Timothy Bradley, all better fighters, arguably, and, and stronger fighters than Andre Berto. But again, he went looking for a big paycheck and a, a comfortable win to to wrap up his career quite nicely. I mean, that's the frustrating thing about it. It's, it could have been so much more and so much more entertaining. I think, um, you know, agreeing with what Paul said, you can only beat what's in front of you, but... I'm, you know, as a, a fan of Italian football, what's wrong with being so tactical? Um, you know, it's yes, it's not going to put you down in the pantheon as this guy was the greatest ever, but he's won 49 fights out of 49. So, you know, what, what's the problem here? Like, let's give him the credit he deserves for winning them all. But we don't have to necessarily think that everyone who's who's gone through their career undefeated is the greatest ever. He's just, he's not. 
So, um, you know, I think that puts that to bed in, in, in terms of his style. Yeah, he's won. So, what's the problem? <laughs> Again, for me, a lot of the personality thing comes into it. But uh, we will uh, leave Floyd Money Mayweather, and perhaps we will be leaving him for a long time. Indeed. Uh, let's finally move into what happened last uh, Thursday and Sunday, and obviously Monday night as well. Of course, the start of the NFL season. Plenty of goings on. Uh, Chris, though, it seemed to me perhaps that we were seeing a number of teams being a little complacent and a little bit slow and sluggish to start the uh, the campaign, especially after a lot of hype around some of them. And in the NFL, can you afford to start slowly? Not given the, the shortness of the season, no. You know, with it being three months already away from the end of the season, you've really got to hit the ground running. And, and not a lot of teams did that. Um, I didn't see an awful lot of the highlights of, around America, but from what I did see, you know, there was... There was a lot of sluggish starting, and the Vikings 49ers game that I watched the other night, the 49ers were nowhere near it for three quarters of that game, and yet won it with a little bit to spare in the end because the Vikings were just so poor, so many fumbles, like so much um, kind of being played on the back foot. Well, I guess that's what it happened just... when, when you have a running back and a star player that's been out for a year, and then you try and bring him into a, a new style of offense, into the shotgun offense that yeah. you know he doesn't really play well in, and, and you expect him to be a 2,000-yard kind of running back for this year, which I just don't see happening with Adrian Peterson if he's missed a whole a whole season. I mean, you also had like the Eli Manning thing in, in Dallas where he, he blows it in the final seconds because of just a, a lack of situational awareness. Uh, you had the Houston Texans. This is meant to be a defense that we've been watching on the Hard Knocks show uh, that we get over here in the UK and obviously in the US as well. And, uh, and it's meant to be all-powerful and unstoppable. And it got made to look like... A, a, high school defense against the Kansas City attack which isn't renowned for being so prolific aside from Jamal Charles I mean slow starts do you put it down to early season do you put it down to teams just not being as good as we perhaps think they are I mean do we overhype these teams coming into an NFL campaign do we talk too much about it oh look I think when we get to the end of the season we get to postseason games and we get to the Super Bowl I'm sure we'll be seeing teams at the ultimate level but you've got to wonder whether the best teams will make it to the, the deeper stages when you see some of the, the best players in, in the country playing with, well, just not, not being on the mark on the first, first game, because if, if you start badly, then then first four or five games, you're already up against it. And, and, you know, there is a concern that you're not going to see the, the best teams competing at the end of the season as a result of just not getting it right from the start. And you can imagine the confidence, for instance, in that New York offence after seeing Eli make such a big mistake, cost them the game, allows Dallas to go and score that game-winning touchdown with 17 seconds left. And uh, confidence is low when your offensive leader is like that. It's hard to bounce back, I suppose, from that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, he should, he should be leading. He should be um, really showing the, the way forward for the rest of the team. And for him to make such a huge error, just a mental error, um, you know, it doesn't doesn't bode well at all. And then you've got his his coach trying to take the pressure off him, saying it's 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 his fault. Tom Coughlin, you know, trying to say, oh no, it was our fault. But but really, do you, do you put the the blame on Eli or, or Coughlin or where does it go here? Yeah, it's Manning. He's 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 experienced enough to know better. And and 
you know, Coughlin sounds a lot like uh, Jose Mourinho trying to deflect attention away from his players. Uh, Tom Coughlin, then the uh, the Jose Mourinho of uh, of the NFL. I don't think anybody's ever made that comparison before, but uh, I, I know there'll be some uh, plenty of uh, fans from Philadelphia, for instance, who will enjoy your damning of Eli Manning. It was his fault on the opening day of the season that New York lost plenty of blunders elsewhere and uh, a whole load to talk about from the opening weekend of the NFL. But that is all we have time for here on the 20 Minute Hit. Chris, a massive thanks to you for uh, for joining us as always Paul uh, I apologize for not allowing you into the NFL debate but you know you got to you got to get up on the game man you got to sit down and watch seven or eight games like I have this weekend and uh, yes I have no social life as well uh, we'll be back next week remember you can catch us on Twitter at 20 minute hit that's at 20 minute hit uh, from now until then though enjoy the sport over the next seven days and we'll be back talking the big five topics when we return next week have a good one <laughs>